word tonight. Uh, Lord, we, we trust you uh, in this season of change. Uh, we pray for Ryan and Sarah and their kids uh, in change. We pray blessing on them. We pray, Lord, your word talks about that peace that passes understanding, that peace that transcends understanding. We pray that for them, uh, that their minds and their hearts would be guarded in Christ and that you, Lord, as we've even talked about tonight, would fill them, surround them with your love, dance and sing over them, delight over them, um, that they would know your personal presence and power in a very distinct way. And Lord, we just pray and ask for what's next for us. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would provide for that need, uh, that you would raise up someone to fill that in a way that is really beautiful and good for your church. And so, Lord, now as we open up the Bible, um, this is your word that you've given to us, Holy Spirit, you inspired it in the first place. We ask now that you would take those words and you would move them into our minds, into our hearts, uh, that we would grow up into the fullness of the measure of Christ, into maturity in him, and that we would know you more tonight, Lord Jesus. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes words fail. Sometimes there's just not the right thing to say, or it's just really hard to find the right thing to say. And that can be due to a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's because of complexity. Like it's, it's so intricate and hard. You're like, I don't, even, I don't even know how to describe that. Sometimes it's not complexity, but it's mystery, and it's impossible for us to grasp. Maybe it's grandeur, something so massive and so large and so big. It's like, I don't even know where to begin with my words. Uh, but I think we've all had those experiences. Where we're trying to like, I don't even know what to say right now. I don't know how to describe this well. I think the technical term is ineffable. It's ineffable. It's beyond description. Words fail to describe what it's like when you hold your newborn baby for the first time. It's really hard to put that into words. By the way, Amy, Brian and Amy gave birth this last week. Baby Ellie, congratulations. Yeah, I'm clap for that. Everyone I hear is healthy and well, but I imagine for them holding that baby for the first time, it's hard to put that into words. Words uh, fail to capture beauty. Words fail to describe a desert, a desert Sunset in Moab, Utah, among the arches. Words failed to describe a desert sunrise at Joshua Tree National Park. Words sometimes failed to describe the delight of a feast, a well-planned feast with friends, the intimacy of lovers, the agony of death, or take it even another step, the grandeur of God. Sometimes words just fail, and yet we try, right? Because we have words, and that's sometimes all we have. Like tonight, I'm going to try with my words from God's word to capture something, an idea, a concept that is complex, it's mysterious, it is grand, and yet also very real and tangible and beautiful and necessary for our lives. Because tonight... I want to talk about God's invitation to you to abide with him. To abide with God. Tonight I want to talk about the secrets of the abiding life. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open up to John chapter 15. John 15. 
Hopefully my words won't fail me tonight. But at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus gave this word to those that were around him, to his disciples. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. That's that's the call to all of his disciples. Follow me. John, Peter, Andrew, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. To walk in his footsteps. And then now at the end of his life and near the end of his ministry, Jesus gives another call. Not that the first call stops, but he changes the call in John 15. And he says, abide in me. Abide in me. Which again, is really hard to understand of the God, the God of the universe has taken on human flesh and says, I want you to abide in me. And it just raises all sorts of questions. What does that mean? How do I do it? How does that work? I would say it's almost ineffable. The idea that you're invited, that you're welcomed into the God life. Father, Son, and Spirit have dwelt together from eternity past in union together. And Jesus says, now I want you to abide in me and in the Father, and you're going to join this relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. So I'm going to point us back to John 15, and in this upper room discourse, these final farewell words of Jesus, this final teaching that Jesus gives before he goes to the cross, he picks up a metaphor, and he gives one lesson here, uh, that the God of the universe has made a way for us to abide in him, with him. Here it is, John 15. I'm going to read the entire passage, then we'll kind of walk back through it. John 15, 1, Jesus again speaking, picture again, upper room, last supper has happened, Judas has left, they're about ready to go to the garden where he will be betrayed. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown to the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So in this passage today, Jesus takes us to the vineyard. And I'll just name up front, there's a lot of things even in these 11 verses that could be talked about for hours. There are uh, questions that spark questions. There are rabbit trails that spark rabbit trails that we could run down. So I'm not going to address, there's probably 
a variety of things in here that you're like, what about that? I'm not going to address everything. I want to keep this very focused and pointed tonight. And I want to talk about, pay attention to this idea, this word that Jesus repeats. Abide. If you're the note-taking type of person or maybe the detailed kind of person, you will know Jesus uses the word abide 11 times here. 11 times in the first 16 verses of John 15. He's like, abide, 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 abide. He's facing death at a meal with his friends, and he's, he knows that he's leaving, and that his mission is going to continue on through this group of people in this room. And this is what's on Jesus' mind. These are the things that he repeats over and again to his disciples. Abide in me. I'm just going to point out some of the repetition. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, right? As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears fruit. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. There's, there's no lack of repetition. But here's the thing about abiding. At least I found this uh, among Christians. That's a hard word to define. If I ask, like, what does it mean for you to abide in Jesus? I get often like, yeah, abiding is like abiding. But that doesn't help. You can't define the word by itself. So what does it mean to abide? So I'm going to, here, here's my working definition of abiding, and I'm going to try and talk about, maybe unpack a little bit for us tonight, that abiding is the daily ongoing decision to intentionally live out of one's union with Christ. It's aligning our head, heart, and hands with our union in Christ. It's our choice to live out the in Christ life. Which even I know that requires some unpacking. Uh, But again, this is hard stuff to really kind of wrap our language around. Let me offer a few thoughts about the abiding life. So here's the first thing. Abiding is not about our union with God, but our communion with him. And I I will make that distinction because I think it's helpful for us um, to separate out or to make the distinguishing between abiding and union, or union and communion. So I learned to drive a car last century in a yellow 1972 Volkswagen Beetle an old slug bug. Uh, And I can just picture myself as a 16-year-old sitting in my parents' Volkswagen Beetle in the seat, again, engine in the back. Something about that 1972 Volkswagen, the heaters were on the floor, and they would get so hot they'd melt your shoe if you weren't careful. You can remember it's a stick shift, so the gear shifter in my right hand Learning to drive a car wasn't so bad for me. Learning to drive a stick shift was horrible for me. And in hindsight now, I think I realize why it was so hard. Uh, Again, reverse the direction here. But as I'm facing in the seat, there's the gas pedal, there's the brake, and then there's the clutch. 
But in the midst of my 16-year-old brain learning and taking in all that there is to learn to drive a car with headlights and blinkers and wipers and all the other things that have to go on with the car, I think I missed the instructions. Um, And maybe it was said, uh, and I just didn't pay attention, or maybe I just wasn't listening. I'm not sure what. But no one told me that you're supposed to take your foot off the gas when you do the clutch thing. And so you can kind of picture what happened often as I was learning to drive that car. It was just that constant whiplash and shaking until I stalled out and killed the car over and over and over and over and over again. Because all gas, all the time, while you're trying to do the clutch thing, it just doesn't work. There's a distinction, right, between the the interplay between acceleration and the shifting of gears. It's a very important distinction if you ever want to get the stick shift going. In the same way, I think there can be whiplash for people in the distinction between union with God and communion with God. I'm going to let uh, John Owen give this quote. I think it's helpful to make this distinction between union and communion. So he says, on the one hand, our union with Christ is fixed and unalterable. It does not rise and fall with our faith or the quality of our lives, with what we've done or failed to do. Our union with Christ is as certain as Christ's irrevocable love, which does not wax or wane. It is as sure as Christ's grip on our lives and his promise that nothing can snatch us from his hand. See John 28. So that's, that's union. He says, our union with Christ is fixed and unalterable. And yet, on the other hand, our communion with God does change and vary. It's affected by our faith and what we choose to do or not do. To be clear, the love of God for us does not change, but our experience of his love does. Do you see the difference between the two? Our union with Christ is fixed by faith. And we celebrate the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We are joined with God in Christ. That's one of the favorite terms the New Testament writers use to talk about our union. It says that we are in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, I think it shows up near 200 times in the New Testament. That we, by faith, by by turning and believing in Jesus, we are in Christ. We have been unified with him. Our sins have been forgiven. The price has been paid. We have been welcomed into relationship with God. And our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Union joined with Christ. Jesus came and lived the perfect life. He died the substitutionary death. And those who put their faith and trust in him are forgiven their sins and joined in union with God. It's why Jesus says on the cross, it's finished. It is done, paid in full. It's the scandal of the gospel. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't merit it. It is the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. Thank God for the work of Jesus for us. It is the hope of every sinner like me. All that is necessary, all that is required is the finished work of Jesus. By faith, all that is true for Jesus becomes true for you. That is beautiful. It's the gospel. If you believe in Jesus, your union is sealed. The other distinction then is communion. Our experience of that. 
which if you're anything like me, varies. I wish it didn't, <laughs> right? I wish it didn't change. I wish it wasn't like a roller coaster ride that I ride on. But we can have a varied experience of our communion with God. Our emotions move. Our choices impact how we experience God day to day. Next quote, this is from Rankin Wilborn, who has a great, really, really easy to read book about union. If you want to read more about union with Christ, I really recommend the book, Union with Christ. Good title. But he says that we naturally fall into the trap of assessing our security of our union. Does God really love me? On the strength of our communion. How am I feeling? How am I doing? So that abiding becomes a chore, a check, a box to check, a bar to clear. Read your Bible, comes across like clean your room. So we can easily fall into the trap of assessing our union with Jesus based upon how we are doing that day, right? Which is about our communion with him. And those things are two different things. And we sometimes feel that communion. If I were to ask you, how are you doing with God? Many of us reply, well, I didn't read my Bible enough this week. I haven't shared the gospel lately. I don't feel like I'm doing that well. And we're talking about maybe our experience of God's love or our experience of communion. And we mix up the idea of union. Moment by moment, our union, someone who has come by faith to believe in Jesus, your union with Christ isn't in question. The New Testament is clear on that. And so, as we pull those apart and talk about union and communion, it leads then to the second idea then, talking about abiding. Abiding is about communion. Abiding is about communion, not just union. And abiding is a command for our participation in the process. That's why this is a command. John 15, Jesus is in the room. He's with his disciples. And he says to them over and over again, abide in me. Abide in me and my words in you. There's something for them to participate in this process. Again, I'm not questioning anyone standing with God or one's forgiveness or one's eternal destiny. The blood of Christ is sufficient to pay in full. But here in John 15, the invitation and the command 11 times in this section it keeps talking about abide, or some translate that remain. It's the Greek word meno, abide, remain in me, abide in me. And Jesus is asking and inviting us to participate in how you experience the love of God. Each day, we get to play an active part of that. Our spiritual standing is complete. Our union is Christ is sufficiently set through the finished work of Jesus. But you have a choice today as to what, how you will experience God. You have a role to play of whether or not you will be aware of and live out of his precious promises to you. Christianity is not a passive thing. It's not all on you and not on God. And it's not all on God and not on you where you have no part to play in it. Yes, our salvation is the finished work of Jesus. But even Paul talks about this to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and do for his good pleasure. 
So there's a call to work out what God has worked in. There's a call for us to abide in what Jesus has won for us. Thirdly, abiding is decentering activity. It's decentering activity in this. You and I, we live in a world and we are fed a narrative and a storyline that has made us, as humans, the center of attention. And the, the center of the universe, according to popular thought, is you. Center of importance and, and our value as people gets reinforced every day by friends and follows and likes and retweets. And we have created a me generation marked by the act of worship called the selfie. Because life revolves around me and my likes and my desires and my freedoms. So we go back to John 15. Jesus reshapes the vision of life and self in the very metaphor that he uses. Go back to verse 1 of John 15. He talks about the different pieces of this metaphor. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Verse 4, after he calls us to abide, Jesus reminds us that we're the branches. Jesus reminds us that we can't bear fruit apart from him. I am the vine. You are the branches. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, Jesus is picking up this theme of the vineyard, I think, intentionally. And if you've read the Old Testament, there are ideas and themes that he is picking up here. I think I have a couple of them here on the screen. In Psalm 80, Israel is described as the vine that was brought out of Egypt and planted with deep roots in the land. And in Jeremiah 2, God declares that he planted Israel as the choice vine of holy pure seed. And then Isaiah 5, there's this whole love song about the story of God which revolves around a vineyard. So all throughout the Old Testament, Israel is called the vine. Israel is described as the vine and called the vine because God's plan, he had a vineyard project that involved Israel, but because of sin, Israel failed and the vineyard project got soiled and spoiled in sin, where they were meant to be fruitful and multiply and be a blessing people, the wild vine of Israel went south. And there was need for a true vine to come, a pure, a holy pure vine to restore God's vineyard project. And now Jesus comes here in John and says that he is that true vine, that he is fulfilling all that was supposed to be in the garden, in the fruitful garden of Adam and Eve, and in the vineyard project of Israel, Jesus is saying that he is the true vine who fulfills the covenant promises of God to the world. The centerpiece of the vineyard story is Jesus, the true vine. And he mentions that there is a vine dresser who is the father who, as we read, prunes and he purges. And it's the vine dresser who has this vision for his vineyard. And I know there maybe are questions around Jesus' judgment language around the vines and the branches and those that are gathered and thrown away. 
But I just want to, again, even, I, I say this is decentering language to remind us that the very metaphor that Jesus uses here is meant to remind us that Jesus is the true vine. There is a vine dresser over the vineyard project, and our role is to be branches. Our role is a secondary role. Our goal in life is not just to make it happen or to figure out life on our own. And this, this call to abide is an invitation for us to find our place in God's story. He is the true vine. There is a vine dresser who in his wisdom is pruning and purging. And the invitation for us is not to be the star of the show, but to find our nourishment, to find our life in connection with Jesus. It's a command for us to find our secondary place in line with him. That's not to demean you or me. Image bearers of God, we have beauty and value and worth but we're branches. And you and I need to find life in connection with God. You have been made for that. And God invites you to experience life that way. Decentered from you being the star of the show, the captain of your own ship, and the master of the universe. That's his role. So you're still like, what does that, what, what does that mean? What do I, how do I do this? Next slide. So abiding is not about our union. I can, I'm not talking about that, but how you experience communion with God. It's a command for our participation in the process. We're decentered away from being this, the center of it all. Practically speaking, then, abiding is about dealing with our distractions that seek to move us away from union with God. God is not out to ruin your life. Quite the contrary. God has gone to great lengths to secure your life and to wrap you in his love. And his desire for you is actually the good life. It's union with him filled with his joy. That's what God wants for you, is union with him. You have been made for union with him that you would experience the joy-filled life of daily connection to the source of all life. Did you catch the, 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 at the end there, verse 11? Jesus says, these things, what thing? These things I've just been telling you about. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God is not out to ruin your life. He actually wants your joy-filled life centered in him. Problem is we've defined joy our own way and life our own way and think that independence actually achieves it when it's actually dependence and connection and submission to him and his ways that gives us his joy in us, and a full joy. God wants you to be full of joy. His joy, his way. Not the way of the world, not your own idea, not your own plans. His joy in you, in vital connection with him. Sometimes God gets a bad rap as the kill joy. It's just the opposite. You have been made for union with him, and you have been made for daily experiences of communion, marked with joy. But, 
Like, like the tides of the ocean, there is a strong and steady pull. Ever been to the beach? I know in the Northwest, we don't swim in our oceans. It's too stinking cold without a wetsuit. But some of us, true Northwestern, we get in the water. I did when I was a kid. I stopped doing that probably 30 years ago. But when I was a kid, we went to Cannon Beach every summer. Every summer, we would go there for a few days. That's like my happy place there. Fly kites, make sand castles, and then after a while, we get up enough courage to actually go in the water. And after an hour or so of playing, 30 minutes of playing, at that point, you've got sand in your eyes and sand in your swim trunks and just that taste of salt water in the back of your throat. After about an hour of playing in the water, you look up and you realize that your parents and your beach towel and your chairs, they once were here and now they're they're over there, right? You experienced that before? You get, to go, you get caught up playing in the water, and the tides come, the water washes in and out, and pretty soon it moves you away from where you were. You end up down the beach from where you began. And I think that's what Jesus is addressing here in this abiding conversation, the communion conversation. We have been given the chance by faith in Jesus for union with God. We are now in Christ by faith, seated with him in heavenly places. We are loved and forgiven and blessed and beautifully dependent upon the vine and the vine dresser, but we drift. And there are forces in the world, some seen, many unseen. But there are forces in the world hell-bent on pushing us out of living daily, experientially from that place of union with God. And so that's the word. The word's abide or remain. It's like, I've placed you there. I've put you in Christ. Here's my call. Remain there. Abide there. Stay there. Live from there. May that be your center. May that be your identity. May that be the source of your life and joy. May that be true for you each and every day. Abide in me. Abide in my word. Abide in my love. Fight against the drift and the voices that would tell you it's a lie. But abiding is an active process for us for it to happen every day. Abiding is the invitation for each of us to anchor our souls in what is actually true. And you will need to re-anchor your soul in what is true every day, if not many times a day. There's an author, Ronald Rollheiser. He, he wrote these words 25 years ago. So before the internet is fully all going, before the age of smartphones, he writes these words. He's finishing a thought, but he says, what each of these authors and countless, countless others are saying is that we, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. I love that phrase. I mean, I hate that phrase, but I love the phrase, we're more busy than bad. 
oftentimes a lot of good people, more busy than bad. That captures it. Distracted, restless. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks in our spiritual lives. Why? Because it actively fights against the work of abiding. We're too busy. And we are busy without and within. We're we're busy in our lives, in our calendars, in our schedules. Do you remember early COVID? When like everything just shut down? Again, not that I'm wanting to say we go back there. It was amazing how our lives just went from 100 to zero. We're busy without, but we're also busy within. And sometimes it's, they play off of each other. But even when you do have five minutes to sit down, we have been spinning so fast inwardly. We're still spinning and restless. And it's hard to be still. And it's hard to engage God. And it's hard to listen to his voice. And it's hard to read the Bible. And it's hard to pray. So if, if, if abiding is about the intention, here's my definition. Did I put it back up here again? Next slide, or no? Maybe not. No. My definition, if, if abiding is the daily ongoing decision to intentionally live out of one's union with Christ, if it's aligning our head, heart, and hands with our union in Christ, if it's our choice to live out the in Christ life, it requires discipline. In our distraction, we need discipline. And I know that even that word gives some people heartburn. Here's what I mean when I use the word discipline. Henry Nouwen, he says, the discipline in the spiritual life is the concentrated effort to create the space and time where God can become our master and where we can respond freely to God's guidance. Thus, discipline is the creation of boundaries that keep time and space open for God. That's what I mean. We, we need some discipline. We need some boundaries so that we can open ourselves up to God. Be aware of Him. Listen to Him. Talk with Him. Be with Him. Enjoy Him. Again, discipline can get a bad rap. But among the drift and the pull and the deformation of the powers that be in our world and in my life, the call is how can I intentionally Abide. How can I create some space and time to notice God? How do, I put the, how do I put the sail up that the Spirit of God may blow? How do I give Him room to work? How do I listen to that voice and not the billion other voices that are really loud in my ear? Abiding is to start, to end, And in between our days, mindful of our union with Christ. So I'm not here to create a new abiding legalism or to create a new abiding checklist for you to gauge your spirituality. But I have been told that sometimes I live in the world of theory. And be like, well, what do you how do I do that? So I'm I'm gonna try and give you a couple practical things before I end today. I've been a pastor now for over 20 years. I've walked with Jesus for 30 years. I'm starting to be old. 
here's some of the things that I have found helpful in abiding. I've got a ways to catch you, Lynn. How do I abide? How do I, how do I make space in a busy life to live out of what is true in my union with God? To begin your day with some reminder of my union with Christ before giving time to any reminders from the world. And again, you can do that in a variety of ways. But here's what I find helpful. And here's what I find challenging. Is that most of us now sleep with our phones right by us. And I know it's because it's your alarm clock. But it also becomes the last thing that we touch before we go to bed. And it's often the first thing that we pick up before we get out of bed. And we do this a few times. And we get a lot of reminders from the world, oftentimes to begin our day and to end our day. One thing that's helpful for me is to say, before I, gonna, before I get any reminders from anyone else, I'm going to remind myself of my union with Christ to start my day. Um, I got a quote here in the next slide. This is again that Rankin Wilmore, and he goes, I must start each day with my union with Christ. I must breathe in faith. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. God is good. God is in charge, and God loves me. Above all, what will make this day a good day will be abiding in Christ today, listening to his voice, keeping in step with the Spirit, and walking in faith and repentance. I'm going to start my day there. <laughs> I'm going to start my day that by faith I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. God is good. God is in charge. God loves me. Today's going to be a good day, not just if I get my to-do list done, or if I am accomplishing my thing at my workplace, or if I don't kill my kids. What's going to make today a good day is I'm going to abide in Christ, listen to his voice, keep in step with the Spirit. I'm going to walk in faith and repentance, and that's going to be a good day today. So again, whether it's just a simple reminder of what is true, whether we'll talk more about Scripture here with reading the Bible, some time in prayer, um, it's helpful to start the day reminding ourselves what is true. Union with Christ. The sufficiency of the work of Christ for me. Who I am. What is my identity? What is true? Okay, next thing that's been helpful is to build in breaks for a one-minute pause. Now, again, there's a variety of ways you can do this. Uh, this idea comes from an author named John Eldritch, um, and he has an app that he has made. You can ironically put it on your phone. Um, but to do this throughout... So sometimes we start the day good, and then it kind of peters out from there, and sometimes we just need the help in the in-between times. So uh, I've, I've done this. I've taken the app. I'm going to practice this. we got an extra minute here to do this. Uh, I just want to show you what this would sound like or feel like. Um, and he encourages you to build this into your day. You could take a one-minute pause. Maybe it's at your lunchtime. Or maybe when you get a break in your workday. One minute. You put it on the calendar. Pop it open uh, for this. So if we can cue this up. Go ahead and just, I encourage you. Just, I'm going to do it. It's a minute long. Listen. There will be a voice that reads the words. I think it will be up on the video too. And uh, just imagine what it would be like to do this for a minute in your day and how this would help in communion with God. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. 
I give myself to you, Jesus, for union with you. I am created for union with you, God. I give everything in me for union with you, Lord. I need more of you, God. Fill me with more of you. That's good. That's enough for now. So that's a minute. You can put the words up there, the next slide. This is what he just said over that minute. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I'll just be honest, I need to say that often. Because <laughs> I go through my day, I'm like, I'm responsible for all this, and I have to do this, and blah, blah. Pretty soon I'm like, oh yeah, okay. All right, I, I am not the savior of the world. Jesus is. And God, right now, I give everyone that I'm holding so tightly to, and I give everything back to you. Surrender. You're the vine. <laughs> I'm the branches. I need you. Right? I give everyone and everything to you. Repeat it a few times. I give myself to you for union with you. I'm created for union with you. I give everything in me for union with you. I need more of you. Fill me with more of you. And they're like, that's good enough for now. <laughs> I'll probably need this again. But for right now, that was helpful. Took a minute. And reminded myself of what is true in the gospel. Reminded myself of what is true in life. True of myself. And it helps. Another suggestion. Do an examine at the end of the day. So again, sometimes we start well, and we can keep track of things with walking with Jesus through the day, and then the day can end a variety of ways. Uh, and maybe it is um, a flurry of activity, and then your head hits the pillow, um, especially if you have young kids. Peace be with you. It gets better. Like I know that bedtime's hard, and there's a dirty kitchen. And you're just stressed. You gotta go do. Get up earlier the next day. Um, sometimes we don't take stock at the end of the day of what just happened, right? Um, here's a pastor named Rich Velotis. He he suggests a few questions, and you can do a full-on uh, examine. Um, here's some, some questions that he puts at the end of the day. Did I see anyone through the eyes of Christ's love today? Did I bring my anxious thoughts before God in prayer? Was I present to God's presence in silence? Is there any sin I must acknowledge and request God's mercy for? And it just keeps us mindful of God. It keeps short account of our sin. It keeps the snowball from happening. You know how the snowball happens even with our, our food? And you're like, I shouldn't eat that. I'm going to eat that. And then you feel, you go to bed late and then you don't work out, and then you eat more junk, and then it just it spirals, and it, the same thing can happen in our journey with Christ. We don't deal with our sin. We're not mindful of what's happening on the inside. We haven't spent time in the presence of God. Another thought, actually another command, <laughs> read and rehearse God's word. Jesus says this explicitly here in John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. And I just tell us, there's no substitute for getting the word of God into your mind and into your heart. 
that we may think on it and meditate on it and, and rehearse it and chew on it, that we would know what God has said to us. God has given us a lot. And there's an invitation for us to allow the Word of God to be in us. And then lastly, just evaluate your schedule. Is your schedule so busy that it actually testifies against the fact that Jesus is Lord? Does your schedule look any different than someone who does not know God? Again, back to how COVID made us slow down, take stock of what we're doing as we are rebuilding our lives and our schedules again. Externally, sometimes we have to say no to some things to create space in our lives. Sometimes we have to say no to the things in the day. And when you've done the statistics and heard, on average, we spend four hours each day on our mobile devices three hours each day using apps, 10 hours a day consuming media of some sort. Just a lot of time. Again, I'm not trying to say you need to throw away your phone or be anti-technology, but if we're going to be a people who abide in Christ, are mindful of our union with Him, we have to be aware of what's happening to us as our minds, our hearts, our affections are being grabbed. The God of the universe has come to earth, taken on flesh, dealt with sin in his body, raised again to new life, sent his Holy Spirit to dwell with you. And his offer is stunning. Life to the full. You'd be fed from the vine, nourished in him, in perfect unity with the Father, Son, and Spirit, with complete care, full joy, you in him and him in you. And if you're someone tonight, if you're new to God and church and faith, if you have not yet come to trust and believe in Jesus, his offer to you stands today. He invites you to repent of your sin and believe in him, and to trust in him that you may find union with God. That's his offer to you tonight. And to those who have already walked in faith to come into union with Jesus, he is inviting you to abide with him. That his joy would be in you, that your joy would be full, that you would bear fruit and remain. Let's pray. Jesus, a simple invitation uh, that in many ways is so complex and almost too much for words. And yet your offer is stunning. And we settle for far less. So Lord, before we talk about fruitfulness and doing and mission and going and taking the nations, uh, 
all of that, Lord, comes here. It comes out of this. That's fruit that comes out of abiding with you. Hearing your voice, knowing your word, being grounded in our union. So God, as the winds blow and the voices rage, I pray, Lord, that we would be a different kind of people abiding in you. And we grow in that, or I don't think we ever master this. This will be a journey the rest of our lives until you come back again, face to face. We look forward to that day. Until then, Jesus, would you teach us how to be an abiding people? Help us. Form us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.